and welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 82. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Hope that you're having a great week. Um, maybe you're out there scouting or getting ready for the fall. I've been doing a little bit of that. I tell you, um, kind of in that mid-month of August, and I'm just, man, I can't wait for season to get here. I'm jealous of the Kentucky guys that get to go out, I think, first week in September <laughs> and chase some velvet bucks. I'm not sure if that date is right, but I do know they get to go early. And, and maybe some of you are getting ready for a, a Colorado trip like I was last year, an elk trip out west. And I wish you the very best. And um, it's just been uh, been a cool summer, been enjoying that, and uh, today we have on the show a guy named Kevin Cannon who is from Kentucky, and uh, he goes by Bo Hunter KY on Facebook. He has his own page. He's known as the Dixieland Bow Hunter on YouTube, and so we're going to get him on the line here in a minute. I do want to say thank you to the comments that I got and uh, questions that I got regarding the bonus episodes. If you haven't checked those out, I'd encourage you to go back, read the description so you know what it's about. Uh, I don't want to surprise you. It is a little bit more on the deeper end of things and I kind of give you my opinion on what I think the Bible says about what's the point of life where did you come from how do you know where you're going to go whenever you know you kick the bucket you know so if you haven't checked those out I encourage you to go back they're pretty both of them even though one's a little bit longer they're both pretty short relatively speaking so um but yeah that's what's going on in my world not a lot we're just going to jump in today feet first and uh, meet a guy named kevin cannon Uh, he's got some great stories super laid back nice guy i think you're gonna enjoy this so here we go all right guys i have kevin cannon on the line from uh, bowling green kentucky kevin how's it going it's going well how about you all doing great man what's going on this evening uh, just a heat wave, mostly. A lot of sweating. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little warmer down there than it is up here, but not not too much more. So, yeah. tell, tell us uh, where you're located at, Ben. Uh, I live in a small county of Todd County. I'm just west of Bowling Green. Uh, not many people know it. I'm kind of in between Hopkinsville and Bowling Green would be the best way I could describe it gotcha. for, for town. So, Cool. And what do you do there? Uh, I am a machinist. I've been a machinist for about 15 years, so I make stuff out of metal about every day. So, oh, very cool. Well, good deal. So, you're getting excited for uh, deer season? It's it's coming up pretty quick here. Yeah, we're starting to get the cameras out a little more, and been hitting some new spots this year, kind of branching out into more public land hunting. So, we've been down in uh, Tennessee some in the last couple of weeks doing some scouting down there. So, oh, cool. And, now, Kentucky, I mean, uh, when, when your season comes in pretty early, I remember, and I know that because I'm always on Instagram, and I'm like jealous of these guys are shooting velvet bucks. So when does, when does your season come in? It comes in on the – archery season comes in on the first Saturday in September. So this year it will be September the 5th. Okay. Let's Before we jump into your stories and stuff, I'm just curious about that. You, do you feel like um, being from Kentucky, you have like a major advantage being able to hunt that early or does it just equate to like a longer season? How does that, how does that work for you? Well, it, it's nice because the deer is a whole lot more patternable then. You know, you, you, you catch them with their velvet on, they're a whole lot more predictable animal, I think, than they are once they shed. Uh, Sometimes that 100-degree heat index makes it a little rough. The, the ticks and the <laughs> turkey mites and all the things that come along with 100-degree heat. Uh, my wife likes to hunt, and she likes to hunt when it's hot. So 
usually in September, I spend mostly just hunting with her because she enjoys it. And uh, she don't enjoy the cold weather hunting as much like I do. I prefer to hunt around the rut more. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we get out there usually opening morning from then on. We're it's a, it's a long season, but with a one buck limit, you can end your season pretty quick if you ain't yeah. careful. So yeah, it's always been a dream of mine to uh, get a velvet buck. I think that's something that's just kind of neat. But in Ohio, you know, we're late September, so not likely. I did apply for some controlled hunts in Ohio that would have put me into August 22nd would have actually been the start date, but I applied for 10 and got drawn for zero. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> so. well, you need to uh, find you some private land in Tennessee. They, uh, they actually have a season the last weekend of August every year. They started a couple years ago on private land and in some public lands uh, in their CWD zone, you can hunt. It starts this year, August 28th. I think it runs through the 30th. Mm -hmm. And so I secured a piece of private land in a neighboring county. I live just north of the Tennessee border. So I was able to find nice. a piece of land I could hunt down there. So I'm hoping to kick off a week early this year and shoot me one in velvet. So. Absolutely. I mean, as long just making deer season longer. I mean, that to me. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all. Even if you see nothing, it's fun just being out there and, and having time in the woods. So. Yes. Well, I know you're, um, you've are you got a YouTube channel, so I don't want to forget to get into that. And it's uh, got great content. I've actually been on there a good bit. It's called Dixieland Bowhunter. Tell us a little bit how you started that and kind of what's behind that. Uh, Kevin? Uh, well, the reason, one of the main reasons I started filming, uh, the season of 2017 was the year before I started. And uh, my wife shot a really nice deer opening afternoon of deer season. It was almost 140 inch velvet 10 point. Mm. And we, and we'd watched it all summer and we had a lot of history and I thought, man, that would have been, you know, that'd have been nice to have that whole story. But we watched him, then he disappeared for the month leading up to the season and he showed back up like three days before season. And later on that year and during the gun season, uh, right with the night before gun season started, which all I do is bow hunt. So a lot of the properties I hunt are filled up with gun hunters and I try to stay out of their way. Well, I had a man that knew that I liked to hunt and he wanted some deer meat. He called me the Friday night before season. Said, I would like for you to shoot me a doe. I said, well, uh, you know, I don't, I, we eat all the deer that we shoot normally. I said, the places I got just, I can't afford to shoot that many more does, but I'd be glad to, if I can get one, I'll give you one. But if you've got a place I could shoot a doe, that'd be even better. He's like, yeah, I got a place. Come down here tomorrow morning and we'll take a look at it. So I showed up uh, right before daylight. Me and him stood there and talked probably for about an hour. I was looking out through his field behind his house and there was bucks running everywhere. And I was like, wow, this looks like a good opportunity. And I asked him, do you, I asked him on the phone that night. I told him I just bow hunt, but if you want a doe, I'd be more than happy to just bring a gun and shoot you a doe and get out of there. And he was like, no, do it however you want to. So we walked around the property and he showed me where I could go and where I couldn't go. It was a family farm that was split up several ways. And uh, his siblings, of course, I couldn't hunt on them. So he wanted to be sure I didn't get over on them. And in the process of doing that, I had three or four bucks come by us within bow range that were what I consider, uh, you know, pretty good buck. They're probably 130 inch deer. And I was chomping at the bit. I was like, Please, I've got to get out here. My, I had my summit in the back of the truck. I didn't have a saddle at that time. 
we got back over to the house and his wife's like, well, I got y'all dinner made. So, you know, I didn't want to be rude. So I eat real quick and I said, well, I better get out there. Well, I climbed a tree. I had to walk a mile back to the spot as we had made a loop that morning. I'd already picked out the spot I wanted to be in. And I got about 10 foot up the tree. My bow is on the ground and I look to my left and here's about a 150 inch buck coming around me. Wow. You know, he's still behind me. I still got time. So I reach for my bow and I pull it up fast as I can. But by the time I get my bow to the stand, which I'm not but eight or 10 foot off the ground, the deer goes past me and I give him a couple grunts. He don't really pay me any attention. So as he's done past me in probably 80 yards, I snort wheezed at him. <clears throat> well, he turned and run straight away from me. I thought, well, I wasn't ready anyway. He, he didn't like it. So I unknocked the arrow and just laid my bow across my hand climber. I started to go up and all of a sudden I heard this crashing sound. And I looked to where that sound was coming from, which is towards where he had ran. And the largest deer I've ever seen to this day was barreling straight at me, coming straight to the tree. So I, I rushed to knock an arrow. I did have my safety harness on, but I was going to have to, I had to spin all the way around. And by the time I spun all the way around, hooked my release and drew back, the deer was at eight yards. And here I am, eight or 10 foot off the ground. He oh spotted God. me and I shot him. I was trying to focus on making a perfect shot. Most time I'm a quick shot, I just draw back. I'm, I'm a trigger puncher. But the size of this animal, I was like, don't mess this up. So I was just squeezing it off. And as I was squeezing it, he wheeled to turn and hit him dead in the shoulder. Oh, no. He turned and ran about 80 yards and laid down. He ran back into a swamp and one little island in there. He laid down. And for two hours, I looked at him, but I never took the binoculars down. I kept them on him. And uh, he was laying there licking. The arrow didn't have maybe four or five inches of penetration. I mean, it just it sounded like you hit a aluminum bat against some just a loud crash when the arrow hit him. And uh, I mean, this deer is giant. And finally, two does run past him with that first buck chasing him. And when do he gets up and runs off? And uh, I was shook up. I, two hours later, I was still shaking. And I usually don't get that tore up over deer hunting, but, but this deer was different. And uh, the next day, I knew I had to give him some time. The next day was Sunday. And uh, I don't hunt on Sunday because I feel like it's the Lord's Day. So. We had a good cold front, and I felt like <clears throat> if he is dead, it's going to take some time. So I thought, I'm just going, I'm going to take off Monday morning. I'm getting in there at daylight. I'm going to look for this deer. So I get back in there Monday morning, and I go to where he laid. I couldn't find no blood, of course, no arrow. So I followed the trail. I watched him run off back into that swamp, and I'm waist deep in water. <clears throat> it's about 35 degrees. It's pretty cold. And I make my way back to a little island in there and I can see a, a bigger island just across a little creek. Well, I sit there and watch him, or I sit there and watch deer running for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. So you could tell chasing was going on. And then a doe bust out in front of me about 80 yards running right at me and he was in tow. He ran right past me, stopped and bred the doe at 30 yards to my left. I could have shot him, but the problem was I was so near the property line, I was told I could go in there and look for him if I crossed the property line, but I wasn't allowed to shoot a deer. So I'm sitting there with bow in hand and knocked, and I've got this deer with no clue I'm there. 
sitting on the ground and I could have shot him, but at the same time, I was thinking, that deer is fine. He's going to live. I'm not sick about shooting a deer that size and not finding it. So I decided not to shoot and I let him walk on off. But that event is what led me, those two events is what led me to decide to buy a camera and start filming this stuff. Cause you know, I told my buddies like, look, I shot a giant. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, you shot a giant. Yeah, I believe you, you know, but you could tell they don't really believe me. I was afraid to guess how big he was. Yeah. Well, the guy who farms the neighboring farm found him the following deer season, the second set of antlers, a set of antlers later, found him dead in a beaver dam and he scored 186 and something. Oh my goodness. And he had pictures of him from the year before and he had lost 10 or 15 inches from the year I'd shot him. So wow, I think he was around 200 inch deer. Now I've got, so I finally did get a picture of the deer. Uh, so I do have proof. I don't have proof that I actually shot him because <laughs> I didn't have a camera with me, but I shot a giant and it, it was a, just a, a massive 12 pointer with like 24 inch inside spread and 14 and 15 inch tines. I mean, they, all of his tines were like his G5s was like seven inches. It was mm. just an insane deer. So that's what led me to get a camera and start filming it. Cause I've seen so many things over the years that I just, you know, not, not deer, but just things in nature that I thought that's pretty neat. I wish I could have showed that to somebody. Man. So. Yeah. That's, that's the same thing for me. It's just wanting to be able to show you know, what the hunt, what the experience, what the story was, you know, it, that was, that was what drew us into it was just the first time that we shot a deer on camera. We just, I mean, we thought we were <laughs> the Primos brothers. We thought yeah. we were, you know, famous. I mean, it was just that awesome feeling like, man, we can't wait to show this to people. And we had a wild game night at our church. And so I'd done some editing and I look back at that and we, I mean, we had like some Eric church song playing in the background and <laughs> we had all yeah. this stuff, but we were just so pumped to like, it was just a doe, but just sharing that experience with other guys and guys coming up saying, Hey, that was pretty cool. And you know, that's, that's what makes it kind of fun sometimes. Yes. I agree. Uh, before we get in, I want to get into some more of your stories, but you know, there, I see this all the time. Um, guys asking like advice on camera setup or camera, things like that. Kevin, you have any like just general tips for guys that are wanting to film their hunts? There might be some guys listening to this or girls listening to this that, you know, they kind of want to film their hunts, but they just don't know how to get started. What, what tips would you give for that? Well, I'd say the main thing is stay within your boundaries. Uh, don't get something that's overcomplicated to start because you can be caught up in so many settings and do I got this right and do I got just just get something that's easy to use at first and not that expensive and see if you like it because mm -hmm. if you're really dedicated to filming a hunt and actually capturing it on camera it's going to cost you some deer yep. you know it, it's hard to be making two shots at once and that's essentially <laughs> what you're doing with a camera so mm -hmm. i would say start simple see if you like it you know you don't have this world's driven by you know, big corporations that tell you, you got to have this or you got to have this. That, that's simply not the case. Uh, just to film a hunt. If, you know, if you're trying to put together a video, maybe it's something different, but uh, just stay simple with it. Get a feel for doing it. Get used to packing in all the stuff, the aggravation that goes along with setting it all up. You got to get used to that stuff. And then if you've got a camera, you can't figure out <laughs> how to use, it's even more aggravating. So I said, 
I'd say start simple just to see if you like it. That is, man, that's great advice. <laughs> I've seen so many other people say different things, but that's absolutely it. And I think you're right. I think, you know, even today, if you got a, you know, a newer phone, the phones today, start with that. You know, if you're just wanting yeah. to see if you kind of like it, they make specialized little holders for your phone where you could actually film with your phone and get actually pretty, pretty good footage, you know, and yeah. there's ways that you can edit on your phone. So you don't even have to buy some crazy expensive editing software. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. Well, let's, let's dive into some more of your stories. That's a great one that you just told. So whenever you think about, you know, I know that you've been bow hunting for a while, you know, well, first off, how, how did you get into bow hunting, Kevin? I don't know that story. Well, I grew up in a hunting family. Uh, my mom and dad both shot like the, the old, National Field Archery shoots back when I was very young, which was traditional, you know, recurve and open sight, you know, no sights, just mm. fingers. And so they have, they were always flinging arrows when I was young, and that always piqued my interest. But uh, I got my first compound when I was eight years old from a boy off my little league baseball team. He was the biggest kid, and I was the smallest kid, and it worked out good because he outgrew everything by the time I needed it. So. I used to cut my, all my stuff from him and he, he gave me a piercing compound bow when I was eight. <laughs> and I, that's really what started. I love, I love shooting a bow. I just, I don't know. It's just something about it. It's good fun for everybody. You can get out there and have a good time, you know, just flinging arrows at anything. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how I started. Uh, my dad went to taxidermy school when I was 10 years old. So he become a taxidermist for a while. He'd gotten laid off from his factory job that he had. So he decided to go to taxidermy school. So when he come back, he opened up a taxidermy shop. We had a buddy, he had a buddy that had a bow shop that he was taking another job. wasn't going to have time to run the bow shop. So he brought it all to my dad's taxidermy shop and said, if you can sell this stuff, sell it. So, you know, that kind of what started me. I got all these aluminum arrows sitting out there. You know, I learned to cut them off, fletch them. Mm-hmm. So I've been messing with, you know, setting up people's bows. They'd come in, you know, just want to knock and point. Things were a whole lot more simple uh, back in the mid to late 80s. Uh, but that's kind of what got me sparked in it. And, and I've been shooting a bow ever since. I haven't always hunted with a bow. I went through a period of time where I got other interests into fishing and stuff like that. So, yeah, and, you know, hunting land and these parts pretty hard to find as far as private. So for a long time, I was just, I guess, basically you could say I was too lazy to drive two hours to a piece of public land to go hunting, but it just wasn't any hunting opportunity for a while. So I probably went seven or eight years. I didn't do much hunting at all. Yeah. So what drew you back into it then? Well, uh, I, I got laid off for a couple of weeks one summer and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go buy me a new bow. <laughs> I, I didn't even have a place to hunt. I said, you know what? I, I've been wanting a Matthews forever. So uh, I went to the local bow shop. I bought a Matthews switchback, started shooting it there at my house. And I had a, a good friend. He's like a brother to me that uh, his half brothers had always hunted his farm. His dad had just passed away and some kind of, you know, unfortunate thing that they didn't get along with his his half brothers didn't hunt there no more. He had control over it. And he said, Hey, you want to deer hunt? Come on. I, I mean, I grew up running around on this farm every day of my life when I was younger. 
I knew it like the back of my hand. He said, hey, if you want to come start hunting, go ahead. So I just bought that new bow. So I took him up on it and I still hunt that property to this day. <laughs> That's awesome. So going into that season in particular, were you able that first year back, were you able to get a deer that year? Yeah, I shot a, uh, I shot a small seven pointer the second weekend of season. Corn was still standing and they do test plots when they go into combine corn to check the dryness. Mm-hmm. And at opening weekend, I went out there to hunt and all the corn was standing. I thought, well, uh, he, I just got permission like two weeks before that to hunt. So I didn't really get to do much scouting due to work. So we had two or three pass through the corn and, and I just parked on a road and sat and watched it with binoculars and watched three bucks come out. And I thought, That's, I'm gonna call in a vacation day tomorrow. He's got that little thing, deer's coming. So I, after dark, after they, well, after they walked out of the field, I slipped down there and set up a blind because it was just, it was in the middle of a cornfield. And I tucked me a blind in the corn and next evening, two bucks walked out. And one of them was a, a really nice eight point in this little seven pointer. Well, the nice eight pointer walked all the way across the opening and was gonna walk right past my blind. I mean, he was at four steps to my left, fixing to walk into the window basically. And he finally noticed that big blind sitting in the corner and he froze. I had the seven pointer standing out in front of me at 15 yards. I could have done shotting for two or three minutes, but I wanted the bigger one. But I could tell the gig was fixing to be up, so I drew back and let the little one have it. I don't, I don't regret it still. It was still a good hunt. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. I, I like what you said there. It was a good hunt. You know, sometimes I think we define what is a good hunt. It's always getting the biggest animal that we see. But, you know, coming out of the woods with an animal, that's the goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm, I've never been a serious trophy hunter. I mean, I like to think I'm looking for the big deer, but – Sometimes I get a pretty itchy trigger finger and sometimes it comes back to bite me (laughs) later on in the year when I'm out there doe hunting and a big one walks by, but yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin, you, I think you've been at this for a good bit. So there's probably a lot of stories up your sleeves that you could tell, but I just wanted to hear, you know, uh, what are some of your favorite hunts? If you could think back to some of the top ones, what would, uh, what would those be? I'll tell you the truth. One of my favorite hunts was in my youth. It's one of my most memorable. It wasn't a successful hunt, but it's one that that really got me stirred up about hunting and, and going different places and hunting. Uh, and it was 1988, and I was 12 years old. And my dad, I'd always grew up listening to my dad talk about hunting and land between the lakes back in the 70s with his buddies. And uh, while well, he'd take me deer hunting you know we gun hunted some but we didn't really have a spot we had 60 acres that had you know seemed like 20 people on it you was more likely to get shot than you was to get a shot <laughs> so we didn't hunt there a whole lot but we, we gun hunted some there and I always thought man that would be neat that's a great big place 170,000 acres and, and I always told him I want to go bow hunting down there and he told me well when you get to where you can pull 50 pounds uh, you know something that he felt like was the requirement to kill a deer We'll, we'll take, I'll take off work and we'll, you'll take off school and we'll go down to LBL and we'll hunt for three days. Well, that year was 1988. I, I was 12 years old. I went to Kmart and I bought a white tail bear two, I believe is what it was. It's just a two wheeled bow, 50 pound limbs. I had it maxed out. I was shooting there as good. So we, I think it was probably the last weekend in October. We took off. 
and headed down there. And, uh, you know, time with your family, time with your dad, that's memories that you make that, that stick with you forever. And my dad was a, he's a Vietnam veteran. So I always looked up to him, you know, he always seemed like Mr. Tough guy, you know, nothing ever. I mean, when we was out in the woods, nothing ever scared him. Mm-hmm. So we hunted and we had some opportunities, but that, that first day we, we made a couple stalks and a couple blown shots on some deer. But that night we pulled into a picnic area because it was a storm coming up and he thought we better get somewhere in case we needed shelter. We was just staying in the uh, aluminum camper in the back of the truck. And he felt like we ought to get somewhere with a restroom so we could get in if it, you know, the storm got bad. And we were sitting there eating our beanie weenies or whatever it was out of a can at night for supper. And there was all these bats flying around the light there in the camping area. You know, and I, I didn't like bats and, you know, dad's like, ah, don't worry about them. They won't hurt you. But that night, as we finished and we closed up the latch, and by the time the storm was coming through, it started this. It hailed. It was loud inside that aluminum camper. And I looked over at my dad, and he was sound asleep. And I thought, well, <laughs> it don't bother him. I go to sleep, too. And about the time I dozed off, my dad screams, there's a bat in here. And first thing I thought, you know, there's a bat in this camper. So I jump up, I tear my head off on the top of this aluminum camper. <laughs> and I stop and look over at my dad and this giant maple leaf. We had the little louvered windows on the side. Well, his side didn't have a screen on it. And a giant maple leaf in that storm was wet. It flew in there and landed across his face. And he just knew it was a bat. And the man that I never thought was scared of anything was screaming like a little girl with this big maple leaf stuck to his face. That's just, <laughs> that's just a memory I'll never forget. And I still oh, write him awesome. about it to this day. So <laughs> the, the maple leaf uh, bat. That's yeah, awesome. the maple leaf bat. It got him at night. We had a good <laughs> laugh over that. that. That was a hunt that we didn't kill anything. But that's a hunt that's just as vivid in my mind now as it was, mm. you know, thir- almost, well, over 30 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, Man, that's special. That's really cool time like that with family and those lives, like you said, it's not always the hunt. It's not, it's not always the kill, but just the experiences around it is stuff that you remember. I, I was telling somebody the other day, my buddy, he had invited me and uh, Trav who's in my hunting group out to hunt some public land and we hadn't hunted a lot of public. And I just remember that night, um, what happened, we were trying to get into bed early and uh, we were laying down about that night, some uh, coon dogs, uh, came mm-hmm. and they treed on a on a tree probably about 100 yards from where we were sleeping and they barked for about an hour and a half until the truck came finally the hunters found their dogs and they got them off the tree but then they sat there and they talked for about another hour out by their trucks which was about you know within 50 yards of our tent yeah. so we woke up the next morning and none of us were uh, but I just look back at that and while it was miserable man just the stuff that surrounds the hunt is sometimes the stuff that you actually remember and you laugh about looking back on. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about memories, you know, mm. and that's what, that's what a real trophy is. What you take away from it that you'll remember forever. Mm. You know, absolutely. That's good. Well, any, any stories that come to mind where, you know, there was a, a deer that you got down. How about, how about some of those? Uh, I'd go back. The first deer I ever got that would probably make, well, I know it'll make Pope and Young, but uh, my first really good deer was the one, I want to say it was Halloween morning of 2008. I'm thinking it was 2008. I was in the process of building a house 
for me and my wife, we had just put up a little metal building for our first home and I was in the process of framing it and sheet rocking it. And I was out of wood. So I was going to have to go buy, I think it was on a Friday. <clears throat> I was going to have to go purchase some more lumber. So I took off work to go get lumber. A cold front come through on October 30th. It was, you know, one of those cold fronts where you need to be in a tree. Mm-hmm. And the lumber yard didn't open till nine. And I thought, well, I got time to slip in a hunt in the morning. So I got up and went to the tree that morning. And I just got in a tree that I usually just do an observation set. It just overlooks a big field to a woods that I usually hunt in. And I climbed a tree that morning and I watched a giant deer in lockdown with a doe for, I don't know, an hour and a half. Every buck that hit that field, he would chase it off. And I was I was just sitting there like, man, this is, a, this is what a great morning. There's another one of the mornings you wish you had a camera because, you know, just seen so many bucks. I've probably seen 10 different bucks come up on that hot doe. And I watched all that going on and then I heard a rabbit squalling. And I was like, what in the world? This is right behind me. This is this, I mean, you could tell a rabbit in distress. And I got looking and here come a bobcat that morning, come walking right past my, walked right up there to my tree. Hmm. I didn't know it at the time we had a bobcat season. I thought that was fair game anytime. So uh, the bobcat got up there and, and he realized something wasn't right. And he froze with this rabbit in his mouth. And I didn't know it, but the season didn't come in until the next day, November 1st. I drew back and took a shot and hit a limb. And when I did, I shot this rabbit right out of his mouth. And I hit that <laughs> limb. It, it pinned the rabbit to the ground, and the bobcat turned and ran. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, what? A, you know, that bobcat, he still don't know what, you know, what took that rabbit from him. I was still sitting there, and all of a sudden, a big, loud grunt drawed my, I was like, what, what was that? You know, it was in behind me. I was sitting about 50 yards from a, a, the border fence was in behind me. It was just a growed up thicket that had been clear cut that 50 yard swath between me and the fence. Uh, the landowner had clear cut it and it had growed up for a couple years. It was thick. I didn't really expect nothing to be able to come through it. Well, I heard a, a loud grunt and a couple small grunts. So I picked up the grunt call and I made I tried to duplicate exactly what he did. Well, after I did that, he let out another big, loud roaring grunt. So I let out a roaring grunt, nothing, everything went silent. So I picked up the can call and I turned it over two times, two bleats on that can call. And then the woods back there just erupted. I could tell he was on his way. So I grabbed my bow and he, I could see all the debris shaking, you know, as it's working its way. I couldn't see the deer but I could see everything moving. And then he steps out right underneath my tree, right in the edge of the field. I mean, I'm looking at him pretty much through my platform. I come to full draw on him and he knew the gig was up. Like I've been duped because he's looking at that field. He didn't see no deer. Now I had real good thick cover to call him in. But once he got there, he realized, you know, this, this something ain't right. And uh, you could tell by his body language, he's fixing to spin and turn. So I, I bent at the waist as much as I could and just about shot the platform, but I shot him right between the, the shoulder blades, just straight down and he hit the ground. And of course that didn't kill him instantly. I put a second one in him, but that was my first really good deer that I ever killed with a bow. Uh, he was probably mid one thirties, somewhere in that range, but it was just the whole experience of the whole morning. It was just, it was nonstop action. It wasn't all close to me, but it's just the first deer I ever called directly to me, you know, well within bow range. I mean, I shot this deer 
at less than two yards from the base of my tree. It was pretty wow. much straight down. So that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I think uh, being able to call them in and do those type of things is also another fun part of it. You know, being able to say, you know, hey, I had a part in that deer kind of coming in is also, I think, something that makes it even more exciting sometimes. Yes. And I think calling one in has a lot to do with where you're sitting more so than how you're calling a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you grunt at one and he can look and see there ain't no deer there, mm-hmm. he has no reason to come. But if you got a lot of thick cover between you and him, a lot of times he's going to, you know, he's going to circle down wind, but he's going to try to get, get to you. Yeah. I had that very thing happen last year. I did a lot of rattling and uh, especially during the rut, I rattled in and grunted in several bucks, but I realized that the tree that I was in most of the time, it was just a little too open around me. Like they would get within about 60 yards, but Mm. then once they got there, they'd make a big circle around where I made the noise. It's like they were kind of, they knew something, like you said, something wasn't right. So that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really good advice. I think. So, well, Kevin, I know that you've gotten into um, saddle hunting recently. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I'm just curious about, you know, maybe some of your saddle hunts and first off, maybe why you got into saddle hunting and why that, um, you know, has appealed to you. Well, I'm sure most people that deer hunt probably at least at one time have owned a climber or, you know, a a hanging hunt stand uh, with sticks. And and I I do too. I still own them. Uh, I don't, think the saddle is the end all be all but there's a lot of times where you need to get to, to a spot quickly and need to get set up quickly and quietly I think quietly is the bigger issue uh, when you go in there sometimes I mean you can be quiet with standing sticks but you have to really take your time but when you're in a hurry and a lot of times a lot of places I hunt have a lot of small trees with a lot of limbs a climber's just not an option on a lot of those spots because there's not a tree where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And, and it does no good to be in a tree if, if it ain't, for me, if it ain't within 30 yards because I'm probably not going to shoot at it. So the appeal of the saddle was some of these little bitty trees. And I've got a spot this year in Tennessee that I've got some good trail camera pictures, but without a saddle, I would have no way to hunt it. I've got one little six inch tree with a lot of cover. I probably won't get up 10 feet, but if I put a hang on in it and sticks, it would stick out like a sore thumb with me sitting out on that thing and that tree shaking so bad. And I feel like (laughs) sitting in a saddle, I'm closer to the tree. I control how bad it shakes. You don't have all that leverage of the stand. When you're standing out on the end of a stand, you got to turn around that whole tree shaking. But I can spin around pretty easy in a saddle and make all the shots without a whole lot of movement from the tree. And that, that's one thing I like about it, the portability, the mobility of it, and the quietness of it. Just, you know, something you're wearing around your hips, made of cloth, makes no noise compared to, you know, setting down a climber, pulling out the strap, strapping it to the tree. You know, yeah. you can claim something and the game's up if you got deer bedded pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that's what kind of led, led me to it. And I agree with you. It's not the end all be all. Sometimes uh, I've seen some saddle guys get rather obnoxious, you know, about how it's the perfect thing. And and it's, I really do love it, but you know, I think guys just got to try it out. Um, One thing I was curious about, Kevin, I haven't heard a lot or I haven't done a lot of research on, uh, I think that you use what's called a cruiser saddle. Yes. Tell us a little bit about a cruiser because I don't know much about them. I'm just curious why you landed on that saddle. Well, to tell you the truth, uh, the saddles 
the owner is Chadrick Rice, and a lot of those saddle farms you you see him selling, you know, Chadrick Rice custom saddles. That he got started. He's uh, a guy from Cookville, Tennessee, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of what you talk about. There's a lot of fanboyism in the hunting industry, and sometimes people buy stuff based on name. And uh, be honest with you, I, I didn't. I don't know. I just. For whatever reason, that's nothing against any of the saddle companies. I, I took a liking to this guy. I got talking to him on Facebook, mm-hmm. and, you know, through Messenger, and, and he, you know, seemed like a nice Christian guy and a, and a good family guy. I just wanted to give him my business, so that's. I mean, I like to buy from the little guy. Uh, yeah. So, you know that people's like, well, you could do this or you could do that, but you know, competition only makes everybody better. So. You know, he, he got to start selling a few saddles here and there. And, and, you know, good for him. He started his own business and it appears to be doing well. If you look at, you know, if you look at Facebook saddle groups, everybody's waiting on their cruiser saddle. And I don't blame them because they're super comfortable and uh, they're very well made. And for the price, I don't think you can beat them. That's just my opinion. I like them. I really do. Absolutely. Yeah, you can check those out at Cruiser, and it's uh, C-R-U-Z-R saddles.com if anybody's interested. And I, I really like the design of it and look. And I, it's just one of those I wanted to ask you because I've learned a lot about some of the other, you know, startup companies. We had the guy from H2 on. Heath Hart came on the podcast a few episodes ago. and um, But, yeah, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on Cruiser a little bit. So, well, I think we've got time. If you've got one more story, so um, – is there is there any other story that just kind of rises to the top whenever you think about your long time of hunting? Um, what can you leave us with one more good hunting story, Kevin? Well, I leave you with one. It was another one. It wasn't. It was successful, but it wasn't successful. Uh, the first year I started filming, the uh, desire to shoot one on camera led me to shoot one early. Uh, shot one in the September that. Man, I enjoyed shooting him, but he was no giant. I mean, I admit it, he was he was a good deer, but I wanted to get one on camera, and ended up my wife didn't have him on camera when I shot it. But that's a whole different story. That was my fault as well. But uh, she hadn't killed a buck yet, so I thought I really would like to get her on a buck. So it, it got gun season, and uh, I went in to a spot, well, actually on the fellow that I was telling you that I still hunt on that property this day. I went here that morning, just intentions on scouting a spot. I had a stand pre-hung in there for me and her that we'd hunted in years past. I knew it was a good doe bedding area right behind it. And I thought, you know, I'd probably catch some bucks cruising. And I got in the stand that morning and, and before it ever got daylight, I had a buck come by me chasing. And then I had a few does filter by. I was in there to shoot a doe, but you know, there's where the camera cost you. I was trying to get the camera on it and you know, I moved the camera to the frame and then they walked through the frame. By the time I got Drew back, they'd walked out of the frame. I let down, moved the camera, whatnot. It was uh, on up in the morning and, and I had three or four pretty nice bucks, but I couldn't get a doe within range, but I had three or four pretty nice bucks that come down that field edge. And uh, I could see one go in the woods from me about 80 or 90 yards. And I could tell he was, he was definitely a shooter and he was pushing the doe. He was kind of sniffing her around, you know, bumping her. Mm-hmm. And they worked her way back into the woods. And I, I really wanted to get him on camera uh, just for her to show, you know, how you, you know, you need to get out there. It's time is right. And, and 
I think this is a spot. So I let out a, a couple grunts. And like we was talking about, about a deer being able to see you, well, where my stand was located at was in this little bowl. But my stand was up high enough I could see over it to see him. So when I grunt it, you know, he's looking up there to a, a spot that drops off down in the bottom. He can't see. And lo and behold, this deer, you know, the, I guess the doe wasn't receptive or whatever. He turns and he walks straight to my tree. And I'm talking to uh, upper 140s, low 150s buck. It's, uh, uh, I've got the video on my channel, but he literally walks up there close enough I could have spit on him before he finally got my wind. Uh, that would be one that, like I said, it's another memory. I mean, it ain't every day you get that close to a, a giant buck. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't have a tag. You know, a lot of people <laughs> like, shoot, shoot it. Your wife's got a tag. Like, no, that's illegal. Don't you understand? You're not supposed to do that. Exactly. If you want to do that, you go ahead. But I'm not doing that. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I've got uh, several, you know, more successful stories but as far as one that sticks out that was a, a great morning with a lot of chasing a lot of a lot of bucks a lot of cool things to see mm. and um, to me hunting's more than just killing yeah you know it's, it's what goes along with it absolutely well kevin i tell you what let's have you back on the show sometime and we can hear some more of those stories too because it seems like you got a lot up your sleeve and i've enjoyed just kind of hearing your stories and uh just kind of some of your advice along the way it's been good man I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it myself, and I want to thank you for letting me be on your show. I had one more question to kind of close things out. Yeah, you mm -hmm. mentioned this, and I don't think I've had anybody kind of uh, mention it before. You mentioned um, not hunting on Sunday. Uh, can you unpack that a little bit more? You kind of mentioned it being the Lord's Day, and uh, just kind of seeing, you know, what's what's your thoughts on that? I kind of want you to unpack that a little bit more. Well, I, I know there's some states that don't allow it, and you know, I'm not I'm not telling anybody what they should do uh, but the bible does say remember the sabbath and keep it holy yeah and uh, you know everything we have comes from god you know whether whether you're whether you believe in god or not everything that you have come from him your life your health you know your job your ability to do what you do and is it you know is it too much to ask to make lord's day about the lord mm. you know i, I just I just don't hunt on Sunday. That's that's just a conviction I have, and I, I just don't do it. You know, uh, it, yeah. when you only got two days off a week, you know that's one of those days. So <laughs> a lot of you know sometimes when it's when it's just right, you know, and you're riding to church, you see those deer running. But you know, it's the Lord's day, and and that's just you know that's just my personal conviction. I feel like mm. you are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Man, I respect you for that. I think that's awesome to have a conviction like that and to stick to it, despite I know that you love being in the woods like I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, good. Well, Kevin, man, I just I appreciate you kind of sharing that. I was just curious, and I thought that would be a good way to wrap things up. But, man, thanks for uh, coming on the show, and I really wish you the best of luck. I hope that you, uh, you know, it's coming soon there in Kentucky and Tennessee, so I really hope that you have a great season, man. You too. And hopefully sometime we can share hunting camp together. Absolutely. That'd be great. So, well, Kevin, I'll, I'll chat with you later on. Thanks for coming on. And I hope to hear your stories once again, uh, right down the road here. All right. Sounds good. 
Well, guys, I enjoyed hearing Kevin's stories. Thought that he did a fantastic job and uh, just love love hearing that. You know, I thought it was interesting. In 80-some episodes, I've never actually talked to anybody about hunting on Sundays. Uh, you know, and that's kind of a you know, a trigger topic. That I know that gets some people fired up because there's some states that don't allow it and there's laws. But I, I think for Kevin, it's just a personal conviction. It's just something that he believes that he should do and a way to respect and honor God and give God a day of the week. Man, I, I can't fault him on that. I would probably share a little bit different opinion on that. Um, you know, I, I have a different belief, and I won't dive into why that is. If, if you want to ask me, I could tell you. But I, I would just say that I'm okay hunting on Sundays for, for different reasons. Um, and so there we are. Kevin has a different opinion probably than what I do on that, or he even has a different conviction than what I do. So what do we do about that? You know what I should do is probably uh, just troll Kevin, wait for him to comment on it on Facebook, and then in the comments just trash him and tell him what my opinion is, right? And, and make sure that I just, he's obviously, everything else that he believes must be wrong because of that one thing that I disagree with. Wait, no, 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 that's not right. <laughs> that's stupid, isn't it? <laughs> Yet that's how I sometimes see us on Facebook and other things. We just get so riled up over something that I believe is a matter of opinion. Are there black and white yes and no things that I see whenever it comes to big issues like in the Bible? Absolutely. If you want to know what I think are big issues, the most important issues, go back and listen to the bonus episode. I don't. I think there are some things that the Bible spells out so plainly and so clearly that you can't miss it. There is a God. There's a thing called sin. Uh, how do you get rid of sin? There's a guy named Jesus. And those things are, without a doubt, plain and simple. But then you get into some other issues like, okay, what about, you know, they used to keep the Sabbath holy. Do we still keep it? Do we still do that? And and yes, no. You, if you go to Romans chapter 14, Paul is going to talk about these two groups of people that are, they have difference of opinion on what you should eat as a Christian. Kind of weird, right? But you have to understand, they're coming out of the Jewish tradition, and in the Jewish tradition, there's certain things you don't eat pork. It's God told them not to eat pork. Uh, don't eat meat that was sacrificed to a false god or idol. And so now there's this whole issue. And you know what Paul tells them to do? Do not quarrel over opinions. Romans 14.1. Don't quarrel. Do not fight over your opinion. So I think the big thing for each of us to do is to recognize what is my opinion on something and what is something that is without a doubt a fact. And we can all say, well, we all, all things are opinions. And in some ways that's true. But you guys know there are some things that we maybe go to bat for, some things that we fight so strongly over. Uh, is it really a, a black and white issue or is there some room for that? And even if you disagree with somebody, can you at least respect their conviction for that thing? You know, maybe that would help us get along. Maybe there wouldn't be so many churches that are different than each other. I have to think some churches split over big issues, but I think a lot of them have split over hairs, splitting hairs um, over small things. So uh, I think part of it is learning to be able to get along despite our differences. So that's my opinion, and you can agree with my opinion on opinions if you want to. So, <laughs> Guys, really appreciate you coming back for another episode. I just uh, am thrilled that you would listen. I hope that you guys have a great week. If you ever want to come on the show, send me an email, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. And remember to shed the light.